This episode of the Ageless and Awesome podcast is sponsored by the Radiant Reset Hormone Detox Guide for Perimenopausal Women. As a woman in the modern world, our hormones are taking a battering. They're impacted by the food we eat, the toxins we're exposed to, such as when we eat out of plastic takeaway containers, or even worse, reheat food in them. Please don't do this. If you're handling FPOS receipts, filling the car with fuel, eating non-organic produce that hasn't been washed effectively, plus so much more things add to our toxic load every day. Even though our bodies are designed to effectively manage toxins, they haven't evolved as quickly as our toxic world has, unfortunately. So our body does need support. Symptoms such as stubborn weight gain, fatigue, disrupted periods, irritability, and gut health issues can be a sign that you'd benefit from a gentle detox. And that's why I developed the Radiant Reset Hormone Detox Guide for Perimenopausal Women. This free guide has an abundance of information to get you started on your very own DIY detox. And if you'd like to upgrade to VIP, it's only $47 for a limited time. I used to sell this program for $247. The upgrade gives you the recipes, including plenty of uh, plant-based options, the meal planner, the shopping list template, the video workshop, and so much more. Click the link in the show notes to learn more now. Take care of your hormones. They are a critical part of your health as a woman. Hi, I'm Susie Garden, naturopath and nutritionist, yoga and meditation instructor. Welcome to the Wellness Glow podcast for women who want inspiring and practical solutions to feel abundant energy and vitality on the inside and look radiantly healthy on the outside. Each week, I talk all things gut health and mind-body connection. If you want to find out more about me, check me out at susiegarden.com. Welcome to the show. This week, I'm continuing my four-part series on weight control or weight loss, whatever you want to call it. So in episode one, or part one of this, I talked about the role of hormones. So that was leptin, ghrelin, insulin, and glucagon. And just to give you a recap, these hormones are responsible for things like appetite, blood sugar levels, getting getting, uh, glucose into the cells, also pushing glucose that's been stored out of the liver and the muscles. And this That particular episode, that hormone regulating episode when it comes to weight management is a really good basis to understanding weight control and how the body metabolizes glucose and other fuels. So if you haven't listened to that episode, just go back. It's about three episodes ago and listen to that one. And then part two, I talked specifically about insulin resistance because that is so important in the context of today's epidemic of obesity and diabetes. And so insulin resistance is a topic that I think we should all know something about because it may affect us, it may affect a family member or a friend, and it's really good to understand how you can take steps to manage this and make sure you don't get into a state of insulin resistance. Because once you do get into a state of insulin resistance, which is kind of, I guess you might call this a pre-diabetic state, then you will find it much more difficult to lose weight. And that episode is all about that. So I really encourage you to go back and listen to the first two episodes of this four-part series. So in 
this third part, I'm going to talk about protein because there's a lot of talk in the lay press about high protein, low carb diets, and that's been around for years and years. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the research behind that and the importance of protein for health and for that's both for physical and mental health and why it's really important to understand how we use protein in the body. So I'm going to start with talking about the high protein, low carb diets. And that, I guess the key, the reason why people are attracted to the high protein, low carb diets is that the high protein levels make you feel satisfied for longer. So you're not going to get that insulin spike that I talked about in part two of this four-part series. You're not going to get that insulin spike, which responds to high glucose in the blood. And that's what you have when you have high carb diet. So the high protein, low carb avoids that glucose spike, which avoids the insulin spike. And therefore it makes you feel satisfied for longer. And people often feel really, really good on these high protein, low carb diets. There's a few of them around. I'm not going to get into the the intricacies of those and the percentages of protein, etc. You can uh, do your own research on that. Or if you have questions, please send them in to me um, because I'm really happy to answer specific questions. But to go into every individual style of high protein, low carb diet will take a bit of time. Um, so yeah, the diet itself, many, many of these diets have actually been studied extensively because as I mentioned, like this high protein, low carb concept has been around for quite some time. And so in the research, it has shown that there actually is some good weight loss that you can achieve in the short term. Uh, however, when they look at these people one to two years later, there's actually not a great difference in the weight reduction of people on a high protein, low carb diet versus a standard carbohydrate, protein, fat uh, ratio in the diet. And some of the reasons for that are that calories still count. And those of you that have worked with me know that I'm not a massive proponent of calories in, calories out, because we know that there are some outlier, outlying foods to that. We know that, for example, nuts have a really high fat content. They've got a high calorie content. And yet people that eat lots of nuts don't tend to be people that put on stacks of weight and that calories in, calories out doesn't actually work when you're working with certain foods and nuts is one of them. So while I'm not a huge proponent of getting really super strict with the calories in and out, obviously calories do count for um, uh, when you're looking at weight loss in particular and weight gain, you do need to kind of keep an eye on that. And sometimes people go on the high protein, low carb diets and don't even give a thought to that. And the other thing is with these types of diets is they do exclude a whole bunch of foods that are actually really good for you. So a lot of those um, complex carbs that sometimes get restricted are things like grains. And uh, I know some people aren't big believers in grains, but I'm yet to see enough research that says that they should be eliminated as a food group from our diet. And they can be incredibly nutritious and very good for you. So the thing is with these high protein, low carb diets, they can be really great if you had a, like a short term weight loss that you wanted to achieve for an event, then that might be something that you might look at that's fairly easy to access. There's loads of information on the internet, meal plans, recipes, you can just go for it. And if it's something you just wanted to do for 
a sh- uh, like a low amount of weight loss, maybe a few kilos because you've got a wedding or you've got a party or something like that that you want to um, lose a little bit of weight for, then I think that's probably a really reasonable uh, plan to take. And the thing is with these high protein, low carb diets, there does seem to be a limit as to how much protein we can absorb at any one time. And I've read a whole bunch of different numbers around this. And some of the studies I've looked at are even really recent, 2018, 2019, they're still studying this because we really don't know. There's not, doesn't seem to be a standard of uh, this protein absorption that is usable. The most of the research seems to be done in bodybuilding type things and building muscle because that's really easy to measure. Um, from a muscle building point of view, if you look at those sorts of studies, which even if you're not a bodybuilder, uh, I think everyone really should be mindful of, of building enough muscle. When we have good muscle in our bodies, we are have a higher basal metabolic rate, which means when we're resting, we're burning more calories, which is really useful. And also as we age, we get less and less muscle tissue, our muscles start wasting. So to try and keep that lean muscle on our bodies as much as possible is really important for good health. And particularly, again, as we're getting over 40, over 50, uh, and we know we have an aging population as well, that um, osteoporosis is something that's a really uh, big concern as people get older. And weight-bearing exercise is really important for that. So weight-bearing exercise and resistance training is excellent for building muscle and keeping muscle maintained. And also having protein is really important for this. And so from a muscle building point of view, what we know is that when you have um, 30 grams of protein in a meal versus 90 grams of protein in a meal, the same amount of muscle synthesis will happen. And that has been shown quite um, robustly in trials. So more is not necessarily better. Because if there's protein left over, then that will become energy. I'll talk in a moment about what the other things are that protein's used for. But any leftover protein will be used as energy. And if we don't need that energy, it will be stored as fat. And so it kind of has a uh, counter-intuitive effect to what we're wanting if we're talking in the context of weight management. So um, if we talk about the other things that protein is used for in the body, there's heaps of things that protein is used for. So building hormones is one of those things that proteins are used for. Neurotransmitters, which are brain chemicals, such as serotonin. Uh, Serotonin makes us feel good. Serotonin is something that also is the building block of melatonin. So when serotonin is broken down into melatonin, that's our sleeping chemical. And so protein is used for these neurotransmitters. Also enzymes. If we don't have enzymes, we don't have life. So we need enzymes for virtually everything we do in our body from digesting our food to creating energy to just anything. Enzymes are there to facilitate any chemical reaction in the body. It also, proteins are also used for, to build immune factors. So super important for our immune system and for transport and storage molecules in the body. So so many things we use protein for. So it's super important, not just for muscle building, but for all of those things I just mentioned and for energy if if we need it. And we, we all know, we've all heard, I'm sure, about the fact that, you know, when people are getting into a state of starvation, uh, that they start breaking down their muscles for energy and that's to get the protein for the energy. So how much protein should you be eating 
Well, there is actually some uh, recommended grams per kilo. So to, yeah, per kilo. So you can actually get out your calculator and work out exactly how much protein you at your current body weight should be eating a day. And so the basic, if we just look basically at a protein requirement for adults, it's around, it's super easy, one gram per kilo of body weight per day. So if you weigh 80 kilograms, you need 80 grams of protein. And if you're a female, it's about 20% less than that. So that's a pretty easy one to work out. If you are doing strength training and wanting to build muscle, then you're looking at 1.2 grams per kilo per day. And again, 20% less for women. If you're doing long uh, duration endurance type training, then you're looking at 1.5 grams per kilo per day. So that is a fair amount, but still like most of these people that are doing long duration endurance training, they're pretty lean, right? They're probably only 60 to 70 kilos. So even if you're like, if you say 60 kilo male, then at 1.5 grams of uh per kilogram per day, that's 90 grams, which isn't really that much. So there isn't really a need to be having uh, lots of protein shakes and all that sort of thing if you have a normal kind of diet. If you have restrictions in your diet, like if you're a vegetarian or vegan, then you may have um, the need to get a little bit more protein depending on how well you manage your diet. But you can absolutely get enough protein in a vegan or vegetarian diet if you are using good sources of vegetarian protein and making sure that you are getting some different sources every day. So that whole combining of protein so that you get all of the amino acids that you need. I just wanted to talk a little bit about amino acids since we are talking about protein. So amino acids are the building blocks of protein and we get them from our food. There are eight in particular that we call the essential amino acids. And essential just means that we need to get them externally. We can't actually make them ourselves without having them in the food. And then on top of that, we have 13 non-essential amino acids. And what that means is we can actually produce them. And so we don't actually need to get them from our food. The body's pretty smart like that. So what happens is we, we intake our food, we get some protein-filled uh, meal, and that gets broken down through enzymes and through our digestive processes, and those amino acids go get absorbed through the bowel wall and go to where they need to go. And then when we have used everything that we need for that day, the rest of those leftover amino, acid, uh, amino acids that don't get used for energy uh, go into these amino acid pools and they're located in the muscle cells and the liver cells. And uh, these, this pool just means that when uh, cells are needed, sorry, when amino acids are needed in the cells, they can just draw them from this amino acid pool. So when these pools are fully stocked, they can last and give us the amino acids we need for about eight hours. 
The thing is, there's no way to actually manage which amino acids are available in the pools because it's just whatever's left over. So it may not be the essential amino acids or it may be some of those essential and some non-essential. So it is still really important that we're getting a good flow of protein in through our meals. So when we're having a high protein diet, that's great, but just remember that where any excess is going to go into the pools or it's going to get stored as fat. Now, there's some other interesting information about protein and how to manipulate, I guess, or trick the body into thinking it's going to have a high protein meal. And that is by, and it sounds really weird, but this has been proven in a number of clinical studies. If the first couple of bites of your meal are of the protein component only, so for example, if you're having eggs and tomato and avocado and toast, if your first two bites are the eggs, then it will start to trick your body into thinking it's going to receive a high protein meal. And therefore you're not going to get that insulin spike that you might get if you started with the toast, especially if it was like a white uh, toast. So that's a nice little trick to know about that you can do every day and every meal is the first two bites make that your protein component, whatever that is, and that will help to regulate your blood sugar level and that will make you feel better and make you feel more satisfied for longer. And that has been implicated also in helping to control weight. So there's a couple of little tricks there. So I just wanted to circle back and just uh, contextualize something I said before about vegetarian and vegan proteins. So vegetarian and vegan proteins are generally speaking, going to be incomplete or lower quality proteins. And I just wanted to define that. So quality protein or complete protein is protein that has all of the eight essential amino acids. That's all that means. So an incomplete protein just means that it only has some of those essential amino acids and not all of them. It doesn't mean that it's not going to do the same job as a meat-based protein. And so the um, there are a few vegetarian or vegan sources of complete proteins, which are soybeans, uh, chia seeds, quinoa, are three that I can just think of off the top of my head. They are complete. They contain all of the eight essential amino acids. So uh, they're great to include in a vegetarian or vegan diet. But also, the, um, as long as a vegetarian or vegan is having a large variety of animal, sorry, plant-based proteins in a day, then they will be able to get all of their essential amino acids. So the body doesn't recognize that a protein is a plant-based protein or an animal-based protein. The body's just looking for amino acids. And once that protein is broken down, that's the amino acids. So I just wanted to make that really clear that uh, that's what I meant by that. So I hope that what I've put down today is useful and provides some clarity over uh, high protein diets and how much protein you actually need. And I hope you did get out your calculator and work out exactly how much you need and then look at the kind of foods that you're eating and how much protein you're getting in a day. And most people are getting enough. So if you've enjoyed this content today, please leave me a review. I would love to know what you think. Uh, if you want to contact me to work with me about weight loss, then please feel free to message me through my social media. That's probably the best way to get hold of me. Thanks so much for joining me on The Wellness Glow. I loved having you here. 
See you again next week. Until then, take care and be well.